Today's story concerns adult subject matter for mature listeners. If that's not your cup of tea, or there are youngsters listening, please skip this one and come back for another story another time. You're listening to The Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and today's story is the second of two parts of Wild Thing by Dirt Coyote, who, when he's not causing all sorts of trouble on Twitter, is writing a novel, a novella, a series, and short furry fiction. His story featured on The Voice of Dog, I'm Just Your Stud, was nominated for Kyoto's Best Short Story of 2021. Find him at Dirt Coyote on Twitter for future updates. Last time, our fox was given a pill from his future self to transform into something greater. Now that he's settling in with his new powers, find out what he chooses to do next and how he'll finish his journey to become the Wild Thing. Please enjoy Wild Thing by Dirt Coyote, Part 2 of 2. When I open my eyes, I've returned to Earth. I'm laying on my back, the ground warm, and the desert's night air cooling my fur. I stay there appreciating the Milky Way above. I can see all the stars and galaxies millions of light years away and peek at them like looking through a telescope. There's two neutron stars colliding there. Over there, there's a couple of aliens performing a form of wedding with hundreds of guests surrounding them. All around are planets and stars and civilizations ripe for me to explore, but a hollowed metal thud of something being kicked catches my attention. We're stranded, a voice cries out. I lift up from the ground, turning my attention away from the space above and to my surroundings. There's a van sitting at the side of a road, and a group of otters are leaning against it. One's got a blunt in his muzzle, taking a hit of it before passing it to another. Things will work out an otter says nonchalantly. A girl between the two boys throws up her arms and asks, How? That's my cue. Howdy, I call out, walking towards them while brushing the dirt off my back and fur. All three jump, but I don't change my gait. They're staring at me curiously, the tallest otter shifting left and right down the road. There's nothing for miles and miles. I can read his muzzle and explain, I just happened to land here. They shuffle nervously, afraid of me, though all three are taller and bigger. The one holding the blunt cautiously reaches his paw forward, extending a roach for me to take. I've never done pot before, but it seems rude to refuse the offer. I take it, inhaling little puffs for coughing my lungs out in front of the three. They laugh at that, and quickly introductions are made. Their names are Damien, Ross, and Tiara, and their van gave out between concerts. Smoke is still pouring from the grill, and I offer to take a look. Careful with the hood, I pop it open and poke my head inside. I'm not an expert at cars, but I think I know the problem. Sensing the vehicle and seeing through its design, I can almost feel where the radiator is cracked. It's like an itch on my skin, and I mend it closed with my will until it is whole again. The otters can't see what I'm doing, but I can feel the car heal itself. Then I draw from the air, filling the tank with water, and in an instant, the insides feel new again. 
I close the hood and smile at the group, a sense of relief washing over me. All is right. I clap my paws together and say, that should do it. Tiara, ever the skeptic, laughs and says, you didn't do anything. I shrug, not needing her to understand. Where are we headed? I ask casually. Damien, the tallest daughter, gets in the front seat and turns the ignition. The car comes back to life and he lets out a gasp. Well, shit. He stares at the panels, squinting as he notices the van's running better than it ever had before. Again, I shrug. Ross, slapping a paw to my back, takes a hit, and when he exhales, he says, And the universe provides. So I had. I learned that I've landed in the middle of the 80s. We spend months on the road, traveling between venues and concerts and bars. Sometimes we're there to play a gig, sometimes we're just there to watch. All these bands I only know from the radio now playing live in front of me, testing their sounds. Some are met with roaring crowds screaming out for more. Others are booed and mocked, their music not appreciated at the time. I recognize some of the ones that would later be hits, sleepers that just needed the right moment to shine. It was still good to listen to them in their raw impact. It's with Tiara that I learn how to braid flowers into a crown. She teaches me her way of explaining she likes me. Despite that, it's Ross who's my first kiss amongst the three. He sneaks it in after shotgunning me with a breath of weed, our lips too close and our attraction too strong, not to finish closing the gap. We make out in our hotel room, one of the few times we ever get one. Tiara and Damien are out at the bar, but me and Ross had opted to stay inside for the night. I'm glad because I've wanted this for a while. When he breaks from the kiss, he says, I'm sorry, I guess I'm pretty high. He turns his head away bashfully, looking to get up off the bed. I don't let him, holding onto his paw and keeping him there. Then I steal his blunt from him, placing it on an ashtray, and give him a kiss on his neck. He shudders underneath me, my teeth sinking softly into his fur. I hear him drag his claws on the sheets, muttering moans. Our clothes come off till we're down to our underwear. He's a little unsure of himself, but I know well enough for the both of us. It starts slow, I say and he nods up and down. There's a little pudge over his front that I trace a claw through, and he likes that. He's careful when he touches me back, not wanting to move too fast. His fingers run through the fur on my chest, and I moan to let him know it feels good. His cock tents up his boxers, and I dare a touch. I put my index finger to the tip, stroking it up and down over the fabric. It twitches, and a bead of pre drips through to sticking my paw pads. He lets out a soothing purr as I pull back the underwear until his cock slips through the slit. While I'm playing with his cock, he's more interested in my nipples. He keeps making a circular motion around them every few seconds, giving one a gentle pinch before moving on to the next. Then he dips his muzzle down and starts nibbling on me between his teeth. The sensations are so amazing, my cock feels restrained in my underwear, I pull my breaths down, letting my cock hang out, pre-dribbling freely along my shaft. Ross looks down, sees my cock, and cautiously wraps his paw around it, squeezing me at my knot. I huff, grabbing hold of his own stiff member to give him a squeeze as well. Side by side on the bed, we jerk each other off. Together we pant, only silence when we're nibbling and pecking each other between our strokes. 
As I'm getting close, I rest my nose onto his neck, breathing in his scent sharply. He's first to come, spraying a line of jizz across his chest and belly. I don't last a second after, and I'm showered in my own smunk as well. Together we fall back onto the bed and nuzzle in our afterglow. We stay there for a while, and I cuddle up against his side. I've never done that with another guy before, he admits. I silence him with another kiss, reassuring him with my love. He feels safe beside me, and Ross doesn't even flinch when the door to our hotel opens up. Damien and Tiara slip in, pausing for a second, when they see us spent on the bed together. Even though we're in our underwear, we're still covered in our cum, and it's pretty obvious what we just did. Tara's muzzle turns, but all she has to add is, Boys. Her jealousy lasts maybe a week at most, before I catch her alone with a flower crown I braided just for her. Damien, ever the most relaxed of the three, goes with the flow, not denying the inevitable before we're all pulled into a foursome almost every night on the road. It seemed like they only needed me to bridge their sexual frustrations. It's about a year down the line that I'm laying over Damien's chest, naked and panting in the back of the van. Tiara slides off my spent cock and turns to curl against my belly. Ross is sleepy-eyed in his afterglow, his gum still fresh on my breath. I smile at all of them, my first true friends. That warm glow fills me again, and even though I'm strong enough now to extinguish it, I know it's my time. There's a vast universe out there for me to explore, and this is just a fraction of what I can experience. It's left an itch under my fur, and though I'll miss them greatly, I know they'll be fine without me. I love you all so much, I say, and stress that last bit just so they understand. There's a small hope that one of them might recognize what I'm saying and tell me to stay. If they'd ask, I know I'd never have the willpower to leave. All they do is chuckle and pass me love yous as well. Carefully, I stroke them all in the back of the van, trying to hold on to the touch of their fur. It's important that I remember this and find a place in my heart to cherish it forever. And then I'm gone. For a while, I travel here and there, sometimes Earth, but most times not. Sometimes with friends and lovers, and some eons I'm left in quiet solitude to explore the stretches of the universe alone. It's only when I come back to Messier 87 do I remember something important. I remember that awkward wave I gave it so long ago, remember how this all started, and see myself so young and new. I've got business to do, and I need to get back to that party. But first I've got to pick something up. Something that isn't mine. Again, I give an awkward wave to the black hole, feeling our time was short, and again, it doesn't have to impress me. It's a freaking black hole. It couldn't give a shit. Then I find myself far into the future. I see a gas giant orbited by a hundred thousand railguns. Hiding in the planet's ring is a top-secret station, a research facility where they're developing the pill I need to give to myself. 
There's a room where it's being held in, and I can't just manifest into it. They've shielded it from me, or whatever threat they perceived I might have been, keeping me from stealing what they've worked so hard to achieve. Sure, I could spend a millennia researching it on my own, but that's not how it went down or how it will go down. Oh, don't think less of me for being a thief. They're Nazis. Space Nazis. Yeah, that's right. They come back, and this thing they've created is to ensure their dominance over the universe. I can't let them have it. I will myself into the station, standing outside a hallway alone. But I'm not alone. Time stretches in front of me, and I see the few infinite versions of me standing in front of the door. I'm seeing every future of me making the decision that'll change all of time. I watch as each version turns back to greet the one behind. Three ahead, the marble fox goes for a wave. Two, the next one gives me a sly smile. The one directly in front of me turns back, and I recognize that motherfucker anywhere. He gives me a wink, and there's no hard feelings between us. I turn back, seeing a couple infinite marble foxes standing in a row behind me. With confidence, I give mine a thumbs up. In turn, that one shows me up by giving his me a double thumbs up. He's the fun one, I can tell. Then I look forward and see that all their me's have turned their heads to the right. I follow suit, glancing into a passage of time beside me. It is there. I see a road that has never been taken but exists all the same. It's a reality where I don't get my paws on that pill. An existence so dark and bleak, both in past, present, and future, that it proves one thing certain. I always stop them. Every time. The Mies collapse into one and I push forward on the double doors leading into a hallway in the research station. There are lizards of all sorts, each wearing white lab coats and visors. They're scrambling, the time of their ascension dawning. And none of them look up from their tablets and notes notice a fox wearing a tank top just bolting in. I am fast and small, walking behind and between the men and women. At some points, I pause, waiting for a group to pass, and others I hurry by quickly. My timing is perfect because it has to be. It's almost crazy to think with all the rail guns and high-tech sensors in the room I cannot penetrate, not a one has thought to lock the front door. Ahead of me there's a metal corridor, ceiling with lights flashing above. There's a tall Komodo dragon walking with a couple armed guards at either of his sides. He's moving with a sense of authority, chest out, shoulders straight, and his head tilting back so no one could be at eye level with him. Even amongst his own kind, he thinks himself above everyone else. I get close behind the dictator, guards stopping just at the door and taking either side of it. They turn and about face, but their movements are so formal that neither even notices me walking just underneath their line of sight. I stop in the room, pulling my tail forward, just as the metal door behind me is sealed shut. The Komodo dragon walks to a table in the center of the room, and I see the pill, shimmering in red, orange, blue, yellow, and green, along with every color in between. He steps around the table, getting into a possession that I think he imagines to be more dignified or something. Just before he gets his moment of triumph, he notices me across from him. 
He stares for a minute, blinking a couple times, as if I might be something caught in his eye. The tyrant looks around, as if it were a prank his subjects were playing on him. At any second, they'd come bursting in, saying, Surprise! No one is coming. And so he asks in his final question, What is this? I raise my paw, feeling energy coursing through me, before releasing it directly into his chest. In a flash, the Komodo dragon is nothing but a spray of blood and ash against the wall he was formerly standing in front of. I'm a little stunned. No, a lot, because I wasn't expecting that to happen at all. In my head, I pictured him crashing into the wall and falling unconscious. Then I'd take the pill and he would wake up, shaking a fist in anger as I foiled his plans for galaxy domination. Nope, he is. Very, very dead, and I probably should have tested my powers before this point. Oh, well. If anything, that was a freebie. I snatched the pill off the table, clutching it in my paw and squeezing it tightly. Unlike the fascists, I know this is too valuable to leave somewhere it can be stolen. Instead, I place it deep into a fold between time and space, ever to be locked away until I need it once more. My work here done, I look out towards Earth, willing myself to sail back home. With a thud, I smack muzzle first into a wall in the room instead. I have forgotten that this is the one place I can't travel through. That was embarrassing. Even as a demigod, I can't help but look like a massive dork. With a sigh, I walk back to the sealed door and give it a knock in succession to a tune I remember. It takes a second time before the metal room opens up and the two guards greet me in shock. I take a step outside right between the two men. They both raise their guns at the same time, ready to empty their clips inside of me, but I'm already gone. And they only end up eliminating each other and any proof of my existence. Invisible, atop of a railgun, is where I place myself after. I sit there, watching their society from afar. They conclude that their experiment was a failure and never attempt to recreate it again, for as strong of a civilization as they were, all that talk of master species and unity falls apart with their charismatic dictator gone. Quickly, even before they finish cleaning off the bloody wall of their once great leader, factions are being made, arguments of what to do next and how to conquer the galaxy falls to infighting, they splinter, and a great civil war happens, the railguns once meant for me are now turning on one another. I picked a good one. It lasts most of the war. The reactor inside hums, vibrating the barrel underneath me. Radiation leaking from the core turns the whole thing blue, and just before it can get too hot, the barrel erupts. A projectile launches from the tip, racing at unfathomable speeds to eviscerate ships, battle stations, and other railguns thousands of miles away. The war lasts years, and I feel a little guilt that I caused this. I didn't want this violence, but I couldn't just let them go through with their plans. It felt like the only option at the time, but I wonder how I could have changed things. Before I can ponder it too hard, I see something coming out of the corner of my eye. It's a bullet from another railgun. I slow time, and even as seconds get stretched to months, it's almost moving too fast for me to follow along. Gradually, I rise from the barrel, stepping off into space just as the hull is pierced through and through. An azure glow spills from the reactor, leaking into space. 
and the whole gun lazily spirals into nothing. Decades pass and the war is over. I stay close by watching their society in fast motion. They rebuild, not just their crumbled buildings and their ruined stations, but they find their heart amongst the destruction. Their war has left them tired of fighting, tired of dictators, charismatic leaders, and talks of power and ruling the galaxy. I watch a freighter come for the railgun, pulling it to pieces. What is salvaged of the Corps is sent millions of miles away to power a station's garden atrium for generations to come. The barrel is chopped to bits, and I follow a small section smelted into raw metal that is later repurposed. At the end of its journey, I see a small Komodo dragon hatchling, unwrapping a present and looking up at his parents in pure bliss. He'd never know that the casing surrounding his little easy-bake oven was once a tool of awful destruction, and everyone's better for that. I leave, knowing there's nothing left for me to see here. I've got a party to go to. I think to just show up, but that feels a little rude. No, I, I need a proper invite. Then I remember the wolf the wild thing was standing next to. And I chase after his image through time and space. It's kind of hard to flip through a trillion muzzles in history, but eventually I land on him about six months before the party. I catch him in a green coffee uniform during the middle of his break. He's sipping on a latte while flicking through his social media feed, and seeing him in the light, I realize just how handsome he is. It intimidates me for a second. For all the lovers and all the adventures, he catches me a little off guard. But wiggling my body until I'm feeling loosey-goosey, I give my muzzle a slap and tell myself to get it together. With some bravery, I jump right into it, walking into the cafe and taking the seat across from his table to introduce myself. The wolf's name is Giovanni. He's a college dropout living in a tiny apartment in a shitty neighborhood on the outskirts of town. When he's not playing video games, he's writing poetry, but he's mostly playing video games. Don't look down on him because I love nothing more than spending time together. When we go out, he likes burgers and hates sushi, but he does it for me anyway. Giovanni is saving himself for someone special. And I know it's me. I know because I look far into the future, when his fur is gray and his eyes are milky. No spoilers, just a quick peek, right? Even though he can't see me so well, he recognizes me walking into the room and says, Hey, handsome, I love you. He doesn't say it because he knows what's about to happen next. It's just something he likes to do spontaneously, and he genuinely means it every time. It makes me feel good, that, that same warmth coursing through my body whenever he tells it to me. And maybe that's why I'm just a little too distracted to notice. I don't see the clot building up inside his head until it's too late. I say I love you back. And before anything can be done, he's gone. I am cold, scared, lost, and utterly alone. Are you crying? Giovanni asks, and I shake myself from my vision. I'm not alone. I'm sitting cross-legged on his couch with a controller in my paw. We're still just playing video games together in our youth. 
Giovanni's got a concerned look on his muzzle, pausing the screen for a second to check up on me. I wipe my eyes and nose with the fur on the back of my wrist. Yeah, sorry. Allergies, am I right? I say, nodding assuredly. He leans his head back, sly smile on his muzzle, as he stretches out a, Sure. Unconvinced. I shove him with my shoulder, and though he's almost a foot taller than me, he shoves me back just as hard. Big bad wolf. We're laughing and resume playing the game. He'd give me so much shit if he knew I was crying about an ending. It was always about the journey. I should know that better than anyone else. He goes back to telling me about this cool party, and he wants me to be his plus one. Giovanni is so close to asking me out, but he's not quite there yet. This is just a way to spend more time with me, and I shield the rest of our future together from myself. When he finally does ask me out, I want it to be a real surprise. But if he's not going to do it tonight, then I'm going to get it from somewhere, and I know exactly from who. I tell him yes, but I need to stop off somewhere first. No homo. So we fist bump before I walk out the door and find the last thing I need. Sitting on a building-sized tree at the end of the Cretaceous period, I string together a bundle of flamingo pink flowers. I watch the sunrise, taking in the vast greenery of lands untouched. There's a Brachiosaurus taking a bite of the leaves next to me, and I reach out to scratch its long neck. It likes the attention well enough, even if it doesn't know what to make of me. This time and place feels good, and I realize that the wild thing was right all along. I'm having a lot of fun making this crown. At this point, even after all this time, I finally relax and accept that he was always me, and I was always him. Looking up, I see an asteroid approaching. It's coming, and I fold my ears back in sorrow. There's a thought that I can stop this. If there is any time I can play God, it's right now. But I know it's not my place to do anything. And I know that party isn't going to happen if I make any big changes. I'm not God. I am the wild thing. The asteroid slams into the planet. The blazing light of a hundred million megaton explosion sets the world ablaze. I give a final pat to the Brachiosaurus, the creature running from its life away from the destruction. As the ground tremors up toward me, I take a bow, and I'm back in front of Giovanni's place. He answers the door and compliments my flower crown, just for fun. I tell him it's not half as beautiful as he is. The wolf's muzzle turns red, but he pushes past it and holds up his phone. The rideshare is coming, ready to take me the last mile towards destiny. When the front door opens, it's the hare that invited me to the party. He greets Giovanni with a side hug, and then the wolf turns to introduce me as his plus one. The lapine looks at me with some confusion, recognizing me, but I'm just the loner he accidentally invited to the party. Thankfully, he doesn't put too much thought into it and welcomes me inside. I spend most of the party with Giovanni being introduced to his friends. They're all chill. It's not too hard to have a good time with them, but it's a little difficult to also not be so excited. 
and I've got to focus on the conversations, hoping to make a good impression on his friends. But it happens. Standing across the room, holding onto a cup for dear life, I see me. It's hard not to break down into tears. There I am, a thousand years younger and the second biggest dork in the whole universe. And my heart is filled with so much pride. He's here. He showed up. I can see him more clearly than he could ever see himself, and I'm just so goddamn proud of him. It's a Friday night, and though he could have spent the evening watching animes he's seen a billion times over, he's chosen to step out of his comfort zone for the first time. He doesn't have a single friend here, but he came anyway, with the hope to make some. The invite was out of pity, but he dressed nice, and remembered to take the fucking pocket protector out of his shirt before showing up. This night could have been disastrous, and though he doesn't have my powers to see into the future, he went out anyways, like a real champ. He's flawless. In my opinion, that's the reason why he's so much cooler than me. It's what makes me feel this intense attraction to him, and I'm getting a little hot and bothered. The marble fox across the room is slender, young, and so nervous. He has nothing to fear because anyone would be so lucky to be with someone as special as he is. That's when he turns to me, and we make eye contact. I remember my thoughts, see what he thinks of me, and I'm flattered. In his mind, I see me as true. I am the wild thing. And I want to be with him as much as he wants to be with me. Except this time, I think I'd like to be on bottom. This was the second of two parts of Wild Thing by Dirt Coyote, read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog. <laughs>